Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a special emergency budget podcast. Uh, uh, Philip Hammond has just sat down and we are joined by Sir Howard Davis, chairman of RBS. Hello, welcome. Good afternoon. After what I can only describe as an absolute thrill ride. Um, it was the longest <laughs> budget, I think, since, well, certainly of this decade, probably of a long, long time. It was over an hour. Oh, what, I just thought it felt long. I didn't realise it. No, it was it. actually genuinely long. Mm-hmm. What for you, um, Howard, was the, the top line coming out of it? Well, they have changed their assumptions about the deficit. So they were aiming to cut the deficit completely, but now they've established a new baseline with a continuing deficit of somewhere around 1% of GDP. I don't think that's a foolish thing to do in the circumstances. Centering on zero is quite uh, a serious thing to do. And so I think he's given himself some flexibility that way. And he's clearly found that with the OBR new forecasts for the deficit, that he has had baubles to chuck around. So this was what, 13 billion that they found? Well, yeah. he kind of got down the back of the sofa because they adjusted their, their predictions on what growth will be and therefore how much money is available. Yeah, it's not so much on growth, actually. I mean, growth forecasts are still fairly modest. They're one point, you know, one and a half percent or something. It's more the, if you like, the revenue intensity of growth that appears to have changed. And also that departments are actually slightly underspending their budgets. But it's more that the amount of tax revenue generated by a given amount of growth appears to have gone up. Now, the, I don't think anyone's really been able yet to work out quite how that trick has been pulled off. But it may be, of course, that our growth is quite heavily dependent on public on uh, consumer spending at the moment. And consumer spending is, of course, quite tax-rich because people pay a lot of VAT on what they spend. So it may be that some of the budget funds that he's got is actually because of an unfavorable change in the composition of growth. But you know, I don't think people have yet had time to sort of pour through the OBR reports to find out whether that's true or not. Well, I was I just saw some bits of the OBR report being tweeted and, and they're saying, you know, the first problem with their assumptions that they try and go through and, and work out, you know, and kind of grade how well they think the chance is doing. One of the big problems is that they still don't have a final picture on the Brexit deal, obviously. Yeah. And they haven't had full information on universal credit and where he's so he he he's plowing a billion pounds into that 
Uh, and then also 1.7 billion pounds is coming through changes to working where the taper rate will be. So, yes. so when you're when you're in work, so there is a you know that was a reasonable cash boost into universal credit. Yeah, I think that was fairly serious. Actually, they've clearly recognised that um, they're at risk of having a big uh, disaster here, um, and um, he is prepared to spend some money on it. As for the Brexit point, it looks as if he has kept back some of the potential boost he could have given to spending um, in order potentially to cope with a depressing impact of Brexit if we get a no-deal scenario and investment falls quite sharply, which may well happen. So I think he's got a little bit in the locker to do more if he feels he needs to. Stephen, what for you is the political top line of the budget? So I think the political top line is that this is very much a budget for uh, not just people earning 45 grand to 50 grand, but everyone who benefits from that increase in the higher rate. And I don't mean uh, because of the the tax cut, although in terms of the sort of extra 2 billion, it's a, a sizable amount of, of revenue foregone. But actually, in terms of the, the other stuff it did, it was not just about a tax cut for that group of people who are, although they aren't by any means, the richest people in Britain, they're among the richest people, uh, uh, the richest income earners, as it were, if you factor out everyone who gets money through dividends. At, at so let me get, economy. let me run through this. This was the idea that was in the Tory manifesto is that the threshold at which you pay no tax is going to go up to £12,500 a year. The threshold at which you pay the higher rate of income tax is going to go up to £50,000 a year. That has been brought forward to April 2019. The Resolution Foundation says that will cost £3.7 billion and it will principally benefit better off people, right? Even the change in the personal allowance at the bottom end actually mostly means it has carry-on effects that are better for people yeah, higher up the income up scale. it kicks up point and you pay the higher rate. So in practice, it means then the higher rate is now 61 something. But the, the, I think the really important and striking thing is in terms of the stuff which eased the consequences of public spending cuts and the, the very important and actually in some ways is a life-changing fix to universal credit is that these are all things. And if you are, you know, a professional, a senior journalist, a, a lawyer, a, you know, a, you know, yeah, kind of a lawyer in a kind of Midlands law firm in, in, a, in a swing seat. Yeah, these are all the kind of things that you notice, you know, potholes is another, that you notice as a sign that, then, you know, the, the public realm is feeling the strain. Um, and then you find troubling, even though obviously, of course, they do not directly, other than potholes, affect the quality of, uh, of your life. And I think the really interesting thing is that you basically had a tax a tax cut for that group of people accompanied by a variety of yes in terms of government spending uh, derisory actual amounts but amounts that they will hope at least you know the government will hope at least will ease the visible signs of pressure on the public realm and that is very much a group of people who used to vote for the conservatives until the last election and then didn't and the interesting thing is is and obviously one of the weird things about this time of conservative transition is the party is not uh, really targeting voters in a kind of uh, sort of coherent way but this was very much a budget uh, that it, its policy implication is basically to say to that group of earners look i know you think that probably the cuts have gone too far but don't worry we're fixing some bad things and here's some money which is what i also felt about this so-called 650 million pounds for councils for social care which is actually a reduction in a cut right it's 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 easing up slightly the burden of of that cut um a lot of money for the ministry of defense as well which is kind of in political terms quite interesting and is that to I don't know, what is that to do to make Gavin Williamson really happy because Philip Hammond loves him? I think it's because it's a hung parliament. It's really hard to... I mean, the interesting thing, I think about you know, last year when we the three of us were, were having this chat, we went, oh, and look, there's been a subtle but important increase in the amount of, of borrowing. I think that's partly just because it's sensible to increase the amount of borrowing at this point. 
but also because it's really difficult to get hung parliaments to uh, sign off cuts or tax rises. And it's even more difficult to get a hung parliament in which the largest component of that hung parliament is the Conservative Party to sign off defence cuts. And I think that has a lot more to do with it than... On the defence thing, he also said in a rather an aside almost that this was meant to maintain the momentum of the dreadnought uh, program, and I fear is it about the anti-submarine measures, right? Yeah, but I I suspect that there's quite a big overrun in the um, submarine program, and that if they didn't do something to throw some money at the defence, then if they wanted to maintain that programme, then they were going to have to make some cuts, some further cuts elsewhere, which I think would have been quite politically difficult, certainly for for him. And indeed, I think perhaps slightly broader than the Conservative Party at the moment. I think defence, you know, is not something where you can keep on raiding that piggy bank anymore. Well, let me ask you about the big line that was repeated several times during the speech, which is the idea that either austerity is over slash, as it kind of get represented by Philip Hammond, yeah. austerity, austerity is coming to an end, right? So it's not a finished yeah. process for him, but it's something that's happening. Is that supportable on the figures that we have? Yes, I think it probably is. I mean, he hasn't thrown a lot of money, but I mean, he has. He can point to the fact that he is not now targeting removing the deficit completely. Um, and so that sort of does alter, alter the end point and the, the, the trajectory, the line, the slope of the line is now different. And yeah, I think that the increases in uh, the tax allowances, uh, I, think, I think Stephen's right about where they're, where they're targeted, but th- that is different. And, uh, you know, that will come in, kick in earlier. So I thought the line of we are, you know, austerity is coming to an end, but discipline remains is actually not bad as a line, really. I think they'll probably stick with that. It's a kind of supportable one, isn't it? But Stephen, presumably Labour are very happy because they can now make an argument that um, Hammond said at the start, you know, this was the hard decisions of the last however many years, eight years, were not an ideological choice, right? But that's clearly what Labour are going to argue. Labour are going to argue that austerity was a political choice. Well, the thing that uh, Labour people will kind of say publicly, um, you know, when you know when they brief the press, uh, you know, in kind of in on lobby terms, where you know it comes from a spokesperson directly, and the things that they will say on air uh, will be uh, this, and indeed the more optimistic ones will say privately, isn't this shows that you know the language and of politics is moving towards them, the debate is being held on Labour terms, and it and it helps them if the argument is over who is going to be best at spending more money. The thing that uh, pessimistic people in the Labour Party and many uh, and optimistic Conservatives will say is. Actually, this moves the debate into an area where the Conservatives are strong, which is who is more competent, and away from a debate where the Conservatives are weak, which is do people think the public realm badly needs more money after nine years of of, of public spending uh, being cut? Now, of course, pessimistic Conservatives will go, you can't out Corbyn, Corbyn, this is a, 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 a dead end for us. But those are kind of your sort of two possible interpretations of it. We do know that if the polls are to be believed, then the Conservatives are overwhelmingly seen as more competent, but their policy platform is significantly less popular. So I think that, you know, if I were were them, I would go for this line of, you know, we're being, you know, there've been some tough decisions, but we are going to spend it, but we'll be more competent at spending than Labour. Yeah, I think discipline's a better word to defend than austerity. But I, I think there's one point we haven't perhaps discussed, which is the housing problem. And I'm not completely sure that the measures that he announced are going to be quite uh, up to the task there. I mean, it's a very difficult problem to resolve. I mean, governments, successive governments have failed for about 35, 40 years maybe. But 
what he announced, which was some sort of fiddles on uh, high streets and allowing some repurposing of commercial land into housing and some neighborhood plan things, but they all sounded a little bit fiddling at the margins. And I think that's going still to be a weakness for the government. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One thing that really caught my eye in terms of following this on Twitter was his announcement of an extra £50,000 for every secondary school and £10,000 for every primary school for, quote-unquote, the little extras that schools need. And immediately there was a kind of Labour kind of at that because it did sound, you know, Labour's making the case it had a big success at the last election campaign. We're talking about per-pupil funding in the state that was and how much was going to be cut. And then to say that little extras does have, I, I don't know about Stephen, to me that just sounded a bit tone deaf and a bit underselling the problem, really. I do think little extras is one of those things which has the potential to become a clip and a soundbite than the Conservatives very much live to regret, right? You have some schools which are going, maybe we won't open on Friday afternoon. Yeah, so We can't have, the, we've had to sack our teachers. You'll yeah. have to bring your own stationery. We can't have school trips, you know, like the little extras that you need, like teachers, yeah, is in Labour attack ad. Yeah, the thing is, it's, it's, it is, a very, uh, it is a, a very, very large open goal. And I think the interesting thing is that um, schools was quite an odd case in lots of ways in this budget because... Um, essentially, uh, although the, the although I said earlier the, the money is small, uh, they have at least for this year, just as last year, at least for one year, have done a good job of just putting enough money back into the system that many of the kind of sort of very urgent explosions we've been talking about in the public service, you know, many many more councils going bankrupt, uh, people uh, yeah being hurt very badly by the universal credit rollout, uh, have been diffused or at least pushed back. The big exception to that is education. Now, if the parliament goes its full length and you can just kind of get grit your teeth through the pain barrier and the kind of naughty, the 2000 baby boom just passes through the school system, maybe by 2022, it won't matter than uh, you've done that and it will just have been a very painful uh, political year in terms of local elections. However, let's say that, you know, the government collapses early, which doesn't exactly feel like a crazy suggestion. I think uh, the thing we would look back on in this budget is that there was just nowhere near enough done on schools and actually also housing as well. Uh, let's talk about what I've decided is going to be called the Clegg tax. Um, so we had a couple of things in this budget where money was spent purely to make gratuitous digs at people. There was like £10 million for anti-fly tipping measures because John McDonnell at the weekend fell over some bins outside his house and quite badly, um, I saw it, I ran into him in the Mar programme and he's got quite a, quite a scar on his, uh, his bridge of his nose. So that gave um, Philip Hammond a, a little gag. But he did a gag at the end of his announcement of a tech giants tax, which he went to a long rigmarole about explaining it wasn't an online sales tax. It was, I mean, it was to everybody listening, right? You must think he's basically trying to target Facebook, Google, Amazon, and a cut and a handful of other companies, right? It's really very targeted at the, you know those kind of really big oligarchs of the tech world. Um, and he's trying to try and get four hundred million pounds a year out of them. 
How likely is that? Because he was very vague on how this, he said, obviously yeah. we'll have to structure it in such a way that it doesn't hit startups. But how how hard is that going to be? I think it is going to be hard, but I'd say I have some sympathy for the government in going in this direction. And I think I think he thought, you know, he meant what he said about the fact that the, these international discussions, people, you know, have been going around in circles for a long time. So I must say I'm sympathetic. However, I did, like you, pick up the fact that he was going to consult and it couldn't affect the small ones and it isn't really a sales tax. And at the end, you know, you said, well, what is it then exactly? Um, but uh, so I suspect the detail is going to be quite complicated, but I think it'll be popular. He, um, what he didn't mention generally. is that the kind of the, the regulatory authority with the most anti-tech or like holding tech to account kind of vibe about it is the EU, right? That's the thing yeah. is that you know the EU has shown much more willingness to take on the tech giants than any other but, big. But know, on this subject, they've not been particularly because you know where are these people based? Well, they're based in Luxembourg, and you know where is Juncker from? And so you know this has not been a territory where the EU has been particularly effective. Um, PFIs. So he stood up and said, I've never signed off a PFI contract and I never will. And then tried to kind of have a pop at uh, Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell when he's like, ha ha, Labour, eh? Signed off loads of PFIs. And they looked at him with a kind of expression that said, mate, nothing to do with me. Um, how significant is that? Or has PFIs just gone out of fashion now anyway? Well, if you look at the figures, you will see that the new PFI projects have been quite small for the last three or four years anyway. So it doesn't in practical terms, perhaps make a huge amount of difference. However, I'd say I very much welcome it. I got myself into a bit of hot water recently on Question Time, where I said that PFI was a fraud on the people. And uh, people, Strong. you know, anyway, but I have to say that's what I think. And I was a Treasury official, and you can take the boy out of the Treasury, but you can't take the Treasury out of the boy. And I always thought that a lot of this was just smoke and mirrors. So explain to me the problem being that what you do is you cook up a, you know, you want to refurbish a hospital, build yep. a new hospital, and you decide you can't have it on your balance sheet as a government investment project. So you get in some private funding, which you then pay off over a much longer amount of time. So it looks smaller. Yeah, but I? it's no, it's well, it is that it doesn't look, it doesn't show up as government borrowing because you're paying for you're essentially leasing the thing and that the private sector is borrowing the money to build it and you are effectively leasing it over a period. So you get more capital expenditure earlier. Mm -hmm. But the public sector's borrowing costs are lower than anybody else's borrowing costs. So in every PFI contract, you are paying extra for the borrowing of the capital that is needed to construct this. That's just a disadvantage of every PFI project there's ever been. Now you may say, you should get an advantage if you are giving the private sector, which of course is much more efficient and management incentives, etc. I never understood that as a treasury official because I said, well, if that's what you want, you know, f fair enough to give people contracts, fixed price contracts to deliver things and make the private sector have the incentive to deliver it on time. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. But why hand over the borrowing to them where inevitably they are going to be spending you know, 2% more to borrow the money. Therefore, they've got that to catch up, first of all. And also, of course, you silt up future budgets by, by pre-committing them on lease payments for things which you've acquired once and you can't acquire it twice. So I've always thought that this was just not a good idea as a way of managing public money unless there is you know, income involved. I mean, like a toll bridge, I don't mind because it generates new income 
And, you know, to hand that over and give the private sector the risk of the income not coming when it does because they don't build the bridge quite quickly enough, that all makes sense. But if it's something like a school where you're not generating any new income, uh, it's just bringing forward stuff you're going to have to spend in due course anyway and spending more expensively because the borrowing cost is higher. And so I just never really bought into it. Stephen, was there anything else in the budget that you were expecting to be there and wasn't? I mean, I thought there might be something about homelessness specifically, unless I dozed off, which I don't think I did. I mean, the risk is there, but I, I think don't you think you did I... doze off, but no, you didn't nonetheless. <laughs> Not on that You bit. didn't miss that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think rough sleeping is the kind of big thing that I yeah. would have, yeah. In terms of, yeah, that point I was making earlier about the political target of this thing and, yeah, the kind of, the you know, if the Conservative Party does think then the bit the voters it can win back are you know people who are concerned about the cuts but not affected by them. What is the thing that anyone who is concerned about but not affected by cuts notices if they go into a city centre ever and increasingly the outskirts of the city as well? It is rough sleeping and homelessness. Uh, and yeah, I think the lack of any money for that was a bit of a surprise to me. I am actually am surprised that they did both the threshold raise. And the forty-five uh, and the forty p rate increase. Um, the they really don't raise very much money for the you know in terms of the person who benefits. It's it's a tax cut that's a lot more painful for the government to let go than it is for uh, the people who benefit uh, to receive the money because they're tiny amounts uh, per person. Um, so that to me was slightly surprising. Um, other than that, no, I think and actually interestingly, and this may turn out to be one of the most stupid things I've ever said on air. Is the, Go on. It means, yeah, so since the loss of the kind of the big majority that the coalition had, um, most, you know, all of Osborne's budgets detonated in some way. They all had some problem with them. Hammond's first budget, uh, of course, had the problem with with uh, with the next change. He is now... That was the National Insurance yeah. for Self-Employed People, which affected quite a lot of senior journalist columnists, right? Yeah. And that was the first moment I thought, oh, you're in trouble here. Um, this, but last year, he did a very good job of effectively a kind of sit-down, shut-up budget, right? There was a, a lot of kind of stuff, for, you know, various things in Conservative backbenchers in marginal seats were worried about. Here's a little bit of money for you. Here's a little bit of money for you. By the way, very small voice, we are going to increase the amount we borrow. And he did that again. And I don't think there is anything in this budget that is going to uh, explode in the Conservative space in terms of passing it. Uh, so, you know, actually, maybe Philip Hammond is more skillful than we think, particularly considering he was dealt this absolutely diabolical hospital pass with the whole um, austerity will end slogan. Um, do you think that's that right? Do you think there are, is there a, anything that looks like a landmine to you in there? Well, we've talked about the digital tax, which if it didn't come off, would be a bit of an embarrassment. So, we can have to hope that the Treasury and the HMRC are inventive enough to come up with something. Uh, and there's another clamp down on tax avoidance as well, I noticed, the perennial favourite, which may very well not turn out not to raise the kind of sums that they say that it will. Yes, I mean, there were some couple of specific measures, I have to say, which were a little bit technical and I not, couldn't, wouldn't like to comment on them. Um, I rather think, like with Stephen, that probably um, I would have delayed the higher rate tax change um, because I think that might be more beneficial to them coming up to the election. Um, so I, I think I was slightly surprised that they did that uh, on in in this budget. But I agree that you know Hammond is I think uh, an underrated politician, and uh, I thought that his presentation today was quite good. It was quite relaxed, but it was firm where it needed to be. And I think that Labour may make a mistake if they kind of think that they can leave the 
rest of the Tory party to attack Hammond, which is actually what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they've assumed that his enemies inside the party will uh, emasculate him. But I don't think that's a safe assumption. You've, um, it, they moved this budget so that it wouldn't be on Wednesday because they were worried about Halloween and he made some really very bad, very mm. poor jokes. I mean, they were worse than the <laughs> They were to- so bad, they were funny. Yeah, though. they were worse than toilet jokes. And actually, <laughs> yeah. I think the toilet lamp's my very pro, actually. Public toilet's a big issue, particularly for older people. Um, but they allowed him to make some truly grotesquely bad jokes. You're implying that all old people are incontinent. Is that your no, kind of assumption? No, but I'm saying that disproportionately... <laughs> Sorry, I just need to go half a couple. <laughs> they benefit from better public loop provision because of something that's brilliantly known in public policy terms as the bladder leash which is nowhere near as fun as it sounds. Um, but I thought that they, this was an interesting budget in terms of um, getting headlines out for for Hammond because he did have a very small landing strip. But because it's Halloween, the scariest word of all, Stephen, election. I'm already seeing people saying, giveaway budget. You know when traditionally there's a giveaway budget? Da, 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 da. But people said this last year after the giveaway budget. But And it was. It, but, I mean, no, it, no, I mean, I mean it sorry, was an last, election. Last year... In this point in oh, 2017, uh, yeah, in, in the budget, in the first budget after they lost the majority, people went, oh, it's a pre-election budget. And I think there are two reasons for that. One, that the structure of a hung parliament uh, inclines you towards a uh, giveaway budget. Uh, yeah, one of the many miraculous things about Dennis Healy is he is not only the last chancellor of the Exchequer to raise basic re- the basic rate of income tax, but he somehow did it without having a parliamentary majority. Hung parliaments mostly do not raise taxes and they mostly do not cut... Uh, spending. And although this government is still cutting spending, it is crucially do it every time it has a fiscal event, it goes, goes well, we'll cut a little bit less. And so I think then it, it's not that the government is planning for an election, but it is partly the structure of a hung parliament. But also, they would be very, 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 very foolhardy to do a budget than assume that they might not be forced into an election. So every budget that we have, as long as this parliament goes, will have a distinct pre-election smell to it, I think. Because... Um, Love that pre-election smell. <laughs> I mean, because how could it not, right? You, you couldn't possibly do the George Osborne, oh, it's 2016, it's safe for me to do something controversial. Um, before we... One last question then. Where do you think this... I mean, Philip Hammond seems to have bet very heavily on there being a, a Brexit deal in this. He put, he put, as you say, he put, I think, £500 million extra going to the No Deal Fund, but he kept talking about a deal dividend as if to stress, no, we really do need to get a deal, guys. Um, did this make you feel more confident about the economic outlook for the year ahead? Um, not really. I, I do think the uncertainties are all about the deal. I think that he has done something on tax revenues to keep consumer spending going. But personally, you know, I'm a bit old-fashioned about this. I'm not sure I really like a recovery that is so heavily dependent on consumer spending, where the savings rate is so low indeed almost negative on some calculations. And so I'm not sure that if it weren't for the Brexit conundrum and his strange position within the party, I'm not sure this would have been what he'd be doing at this stage of the parliament, actually. Um, you know, if you really had a kind of normal situation with another three and a half years to go, would you be doing this kind of thing in present circumstances? I'm not sure you would be, actually. Uh, so What I do, do you think, think he it, would be doing differently? Well, I don't think that you would be doing the 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 raising of the thresholds at this point. I think you'd be keeping that for closer to the election. And you'd also be looking at the composition of growth and you'd be saying, I don't think I need to give more spending power except to the people who are in trouble. So, I mean, I think I would still do the universal credit and maybe, and some of the changes on benefits did sound quite persuasive. We'll need to look hard at what the numbers mean, but I wouldn't have been giving anything 
to people in the 50 to 60,000 pound bracket at the moment because they're spending pretty well all their money anyway. So why give them some more? I, I wouldn't be doing that. But I think in the circumstances uh, of the Brexit debate within the party, maybe that's a sensible thing for him to do. Um, so one of the things that Conservative MPs will often say to me, particularly sort of pro-European and the kind of all the ones who don't really have religion on Europe either way and just want some form of deal, is they uh, have a lot of faith in this idea that the uncertainty over Brexit is causing a bit of an investment strike. And then if the government can, can land something, yep. uh, there will then be a sort of mini boom when investment kind of comes back on tap. Do you think that they are, uh, I mean, obviously can, uh, MPs of all parties in marginal seats often are prone to flights of fancy about how they're not going to lose their seats. But do you think there is any truth in that idea? Then? Yes, there is some, I think, because we see at the bank that there is a pipeline of lending bids, if you like, or borrowing bids uh, you know, to us, um, which are kind of on hold because people are not sure. And anything which is related to trade with the EU, you're, you know, you'd be crazy to sort of go ahead if you didn't absolutely have to. So I think that there is. Now, how big it is, um, I don't think it's massive, but uh, there, is certainly, there is certainly some uh, investment that is currently being um, held back. One last question. If you had to put a percentage chance on us leaving with no deal... Ooh, I still think it's probably 30 to 40. I still think it's odds on that we get a deal. But then that uh, assumes that, you know, somebody's got to change their mind, haven't they? Because, yeah. you know, all the people in Parliament, you add up what they say they won't have, then there is no deal. Um, but I think that some of them will change their mind when they look over the cliff. Well, on that note, we'll leave us. Thank you very much for joining us, Howard Davis. We'll go off and maybe play some of those Philip Hammond puns back to ourselves just to appreciate them more the second time. And that was the end of our emergency budget podcast. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.